Hello and welcome to Inclusionomics, a podcast that provides tools to all women who are challenged with finding or having access to positions of power. We help you navigate the path to being seen, being heard, and being included. Everyone is welcome here. It is an inclusion podcast after all, and we hope that you're here for all of that. Welcome to season two of Inclusionomics. We had a blast in season one figuring out this whole podcasting thing. Who knew it would be so simple and yet so difficult? It's been amazing to see the response to our shoulda, woulda, coulda theme, and our most popular episodes turned out to be You Could Have Been Woke and You Should Have Fixed Your Hair. So thank you for sticking with us. Hi, I'm Stacey Gordon of Rework Work, where as a diversity, inclusion, and career strategist, I strive to reduce bias in hiring and barriers to entry. And hi, I'm Lisa Gates, founder of Story Happens Here, where I coach unapologetically ambitious women to own their story, amplify their influence and thought leadership, and rise up. Now, Thiele Thatch is taking a breather this season, so we're just going to be two talking heads instead of three. We're definitely going to be missing Thiele, but she will be chiming in occasionally with her great policy and HR wisdom. So this season, this season, hmm, this season, our theme is unapologetic, and I'm unapologetic about that faux pas right there. We've been observing a trend everywhere. Now, this is in the news, social media, and in our workplaces where the dominant theme is basically stop conforming to the dominant culture and get the culture to conform to you. So we'll be getting really curious about what it means to be unapologetic in our language, our self-care, our wealth, our ambition, and maybe even in our conversations about race. And yes, that is a loaded topic. Today's episode is Unapologetically Me. And we're going to explore what unapologetic means on a personal level. Because change starts on the inside, internally, right where you are. So how do you be unapologetically in all the places and spaces you show up? How and where do you bring your whole self to the party? And where do you hold back? What does it mean to be unapologetically you? I'll tell you what it means to me to be unapologetically me. And, um, uh, you know, I'll start off kind of talking about a story. I always think back to years ago, not that many years ago, by the way, but years ago (laughs) when I was young, (laughs) when I was very young, I was probably, gosh, I want to say 21 or 22. And I was working for one of the biggest law firms in the country. And uh, this was in the 90s maybe even early 2000s, late 90s. And um, there was, you know, I don't know how many of you know, but in law firms, especially the large law firms, they had this terrible reputation for awful cultures. They, especially partners, they had huge offices the size of like my little apartment in New York City. And they sat there like sort of perched atop their their tower of, of power. And people were scared to go in and talk to partners. And I recall this one partner He had a really terrible reputation and he called me to his office one time and I thought, oh my God, I didn't even know that he knew who I was. (laughs) Why am I being called in there? So I go in there, I talk to him, I find out what he wants. I'm like, okay, I get the work done. I send it back to him and everyone goes, you know, after a while, like, wait, 
so he didn't throw anything at you? I'm like, excuse me? (laughs) (laughs) And so it was just interesting because I had a really good conversation with him, but I was unapologetic in the way that I spoke to him. And that was that just because you might have more power than me doesn't make you more worthy of respect than me. (laughs) And you probably Um, didn't know that he was to be feared, right? Or that... Um, I did. I did know. You did. I did know he had that rep, that reputation and that behavior, but I went into it sort of fortified because I was like, I'm not going to come out and be one of those stories. I would hear stories of, of uh, first-year associates coming out of his office in tears. He'd rip up their work and throw it at them. He'd throw staplers at them. Oh, I was like, isn't that some sort of like, <laughs> yeah, like abuse? Um And so it got to the point where people started giving me their work to turn into him (laughs) because we always had a a fine relationship. I'm not saying we were best friends or anything of of that sort, but I think he understood that I wasn't going to take his crap. And so, and I was very unapologetic about that. It's like, you know what? I might be young and maybe a little dumb, but that's how... I, you know, went into that relationship with this person. And you're also not um, bullied by power, right? You weren't, like, going to allow him, it sounds like, any purchase on you, right? You're like, I'm yeah. not, not going to let think, this yeah. bother me. Yeah. And I think that's important for us to do. It also reminds me of a, a story of another friend. And this is a quick one. Same thing. She, you know, worked in this place, had this, this you know, top person come in who didn't normally work in their office, but he had to work out of their office for a couple of weeks. And he would come in and get in the elevator with her and ignore her, excuse me, ignore her every morning. And so one day she turned to him in the elevator and said, "Um, in this building, we say good morning. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not taking it anymore. That's right. Well, how did that, Stacey, how did that... How did that in your personality, you know, this, this part of your character, um, how did this keep showing up and, you know, sort of bring you to the work that you do today? Yeah. I mean, it shows up because you you get to that place where you realize, you know, kind of like I said, that we're all worthy of respect. And so the work that I do in diversity and inclusion, that is my main tenet is that we need to respect one another. And so I've always, have, you know, I, I've always looked at work situations from that point of view, that regardless of whether or not I agree with you, regardless of whether or not I like you, I do have to work with you and I do need to respect you. And I think that sometimes we lose sight of that in, in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that is something to definitely un- to be unapologetic about, like, mm-hmm. that we are going to respect each other and we're also going to demand respect. Right, right. It's interesting because my, I guess my perspective or my perspective is shaped by several experiences as as a young person. And I can remember um, my dad was constantly saying to me, honey, Lisa, Lisa, tone it down, calm down, lower your voice, moderate your voice, which Mm. pissed me off to no end. But but I kept thinking, gosh, there must be something wrong with me. Certainly, you know, as an adult and even back then, I, I could moderate my voice and I could, I could shape shift to conform. But I thought, I'm, I'm not going to do that, Dad. 
I am not, you know, and I would tell him, dad, you're going to just have to get over it. This is, <laughs> I'm your daughter. I have a voice just like you. It came from you. So maybe this mirror is something you don't like looking in. Now, I don't know where I got that. I, I really don't know where I got that. My mom was very bold, but not as bold, you know, and there were, I remember my brother when I was in my 20s saying to me, you know, Lisa, growing up and watching you, I always used to think that you will do anything to get what you want. And I thought about that comment, like, well, of course I will. Like, what's wrong with that? Right? Why? Well, I was going to say, did he say it as a compliment or was it sort of derogatory? <laughs> no, he th- he really thought it at, thought of it as being selfish, and I think this is very much the same kind of thing we endure in the workplace, where um, if you're you're energetic, driven, powerful, um, outspoken, that you know you're breaking the rules as a woman, and I just chose not to be the kind of person who worried about that. But right. how kind of, how did this whole, you know, if I think about, look backwards and go, how did I get, how, how does all of my career make sense given what I'm doing now in the leadership work with women and, and uh, helping women have a stronger voice and own their stories and be an unapologetic, basically. And, and I think, the choices that I made in my career, I would, I would get a job and after a year or so, I would get bored <laughs> and I would constantly turn my employee status into contract status or I would stop working a job and go off and do freelance writing or freelance work for a while and, and then come back to another job. So if you were to look at my resume, it would make absolutely no sense right? It just looks like a ridiculous string of things on paper. But I wanted to be in control of what I did and when I did it and where I did it. And this was back in the 80s, 90s, where when remote work wasn't that big of a deal or common, but I was constantly doing that. And so I think I just kind of came to this unapologetic spot And certainly now, my biggest tenet, my biggest theme is I'm always telling women, there is nothing wrong with you. There's nothing to fix. Actually, it's the world that needs to conform to us. And so I can, we, you and I, we can be this bold voice for women and, and with the women that we work with, with the people that we work with. Right. Um, what I was going to say, too, like, I don't even want to say that we're going to do anything for women, right? Because I think what, I, what, what you're saying and what I really believe is that not just women, but everyone, we have a voice. But sometimes that voice has been silenced for so long that we've forgotten it. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. so it is a really good time for us to start to think about what are those things that we were passionate about? What are those things that we stood for? And let's bring it back. Let's allow ourselves to think about those things. An example, and this is a, you know, interesting one when we talk about women, is women who choose not to get married or to not have children, right? And just all the, the cultural 
cues that are um, they're hit with all the time, and they have to stand so firm in that and be unapologetic in their stance that this is what I want. This is what I have chosen. Um, and you, the rest of the world, have to get used to that. I realize that I might not be the, 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 the cultural norm right now. Yeah. Well, what you, yeah, expect, so you really but that's your problem, right? And not, not mine. Well, yeah, we're, we're looking at standards, right? All of these, you know, standards of what it means to be a successful person. You know, well, so one standard is you have 2.2 children and you own a house and you drive X kind of car, you know, these sort of American dream kind kinds of expectations that just ride our asses, you know, that just kill us if we're not achieving them. And so I think part of being unapologetic is to really ask yourself, what standards am I operating by? And did I choose them freely? Or did I step into a piece of cultural doo-doo that I need to wipe off my foot um, and, and stop doing? Like really look at, wait a minute, th this was a, a personal internal in choice I made and, and, and it works for me. Right. right. Um, yeah. No, I fully agree. Yeah. And so much of the, you know, the sort of expectations we go into our careers with um, are, I think, influenced, of course, greatly by what society, culture, says is appropriate for us to want, you know, and that's going to be one of our topic is, topics is, you know, being unapologetically ambitious. What does that mean? Right. right. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I, I, yeah, I think we really have to do some internal work on ourselves, especially when we reach sort of the impasse where we, we hit a wall and we have to get curious, I think, about what, what we're allowing ourselves to do or, or what we're telling ourselves we can't do um, and, and what those walls mean. And also being willing to move on when the wall is too thick, right? Right. Not, like, know. yeah, not making um, our head bloody from hitting the brick wall. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. The glass cliff, the glass diving board. Uh, right. Yeah. Well, and I, I do think, you know, that this, this, uh, this unapologetic theme came about because, you know, as we said in the beginning, there is, there's just so much going on. Um, and I, I feel like, I don't know, you know, how many people out there feel this, but everyone I talk to just feels um, like they're under serious stress. There, there's so much happening. There's so many things they have to do. They're constantly busy. And some of that has to do with the fact that, you know, we haven't set our boundaries and we're not comfortable saying, this is what I believe, this is what I can take on, this is what I want to do. And we aren't unequivocal about it, right? We, we, we kind of go back and forth. We're not sure if it's okay to say the thing that we want to say. <laughs> and so 
we cave and we cave for many good reasons, right? Like this isn't like, this is so simple to do. There's a lot of really good reasons. Like when your mom, you know, I'm 40 something years old and my mom at this point wants me to do something. I'm like, um, well, but, but mom, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, I, I, mean, I, I totally get it. I want to go back to your point about how everyone is at this peaked level of stress. It seems like, you know, we're in this constant state of PTSD with, you know, politics and information overload and smartphones and all of this stuff. There's actually a new diagnosis in the, what is it? They call it the ICD-9 code or whatever the, do you know what I'm talking about? The diagnosis book that you um so and it's the overwork uh, mm. uh they basically illness, have, they've created a, a new right a new um psychosis <laughs> yeah it's a new category of diagnosis that's what i was looking gotcha. for gotcha and you know i think too that when you have not everyone has choice or feels they have choice so let's say right. you really want to speak truth to power and say what's so with the situation going on at work. But if you do, you could be out the door and then you, you know, you, you've, you've put your family at risk economically. So not everybody has, feels or does have this unapologetic choice. But I would actually even question that. I would be curious about that to be unapologetic about looking for work that is in alignment with your values, you know, being unapologetic about, Hey, I, it didn't fit. I need to move on. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah. I mean, I think that it, that's definitely, it, it, it's figuring out what your coping mechanisms are. Right. So taking it away from the work and going back to a personal for a minute, talking about my, my mom, the perfect example. Um, well, I won't say it's a perfect example. It's actually a really flawed example. <laughs> in, in, order, in order for me to cope with my mom um, and some of the things, the demands that she has, I lie. I literally, I have to lie. I know, I already know what the situation is going to be. I know what she's going to say and I know what the expectation is. And so in order to get out from under that or stop it from happening in the first place, I might have to tell them a white lie or withhold some information. So for example, I drove cross country last year and I knew that my mom would freak out about that. Because she'd have a million questions. She'd want to know, where are you stopping? Where are you staying? Is it going to be safe? Why are you doing this? I mean, you name the questions she would have. <laughs> I don't feel like having to answer all of these things because I just don't even know if I have the answers for you, you know? And so um, I ended up not telling her that I was doing this until right before we were getting ready to leave because I knew for two months she would be asking me every single day, right? And I'm worrying. Right. And I'm completely unapologetic about the fact that I did not tell her this information until right before it was, it was too late, 
right? Like, I think I was in the car because the whole time she thought, <laughs> the whole time she thought I was getting on a plane to do this trip. And so I was like, yeah, I'm on my way. She's like, but it's like a couple of days before you need to be there. What do you mean you're on your way? I was like, oh, I'm driving. She was like, what? So, but then I got all the questions. But by that point, I had the answers. I could assuage her fears. I could go through this whole thing. So I look at it as I saved her from... You saved her from anxiety and worry <laughs> by lying to your mother. <laughs> but going back to a work example, right? I mean, it's kind of... You have to look at when can you... Like, you have to know what your boundaries are and where you are going to, like, where do you draw the line? No, you cannot stand up in every meeting and say, you know what, I hate you all, you suck, your ideas are terrible, right? That, that's not gonna, <laughs> that's not gonna fly. But you can make sure that if you know you're going into a meeting and you're not gonna necessarily like the outcome of what they're doing, that you go into that meeting prepared. So you can still be unapologetically you, you can still pick it apart with facts, with data, with research, maybe with um, having some, some some allies who also agree with you, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. being prepared for that. So that rather than just, you know, sitting there feeling like, oh, self-defeating, I can't do anything about this, you at least can come in and be prepared with that information. So that, hey, at the end of the day, if they still move forward and do the thing that you hate, and don't want to do, yes, you need to keep your job, you're going to have to do it. But if it doesn't turn out well, at least you have the backup that shows, you know what, I tried to persuade you to go down a different path and we didn't. So this is where we are. And this is why this is this way, right? So you're still keeping your integrity, but you might be doing something that you completely disagree with. Right, right. I, I have a client right now who is going through extreme growing pains on that level, where she's pretty driven full charge ahead kind of person hired to turn something around by the way and is turning it around in three short months of being on the job however it's coming with some pushback it's coming with with comments from um the people her peers that you know she's she's hard to work with she's very demanding right Mm. So I, I feel that, you know, this is about setting expectations and, and building relationships, which she placed second. She really said to herself, I want to turn this around. I'm going to do everything I can to, to, to align things and make them work uh, to not the exclusion, but, but I'm, I'm going to worry next about relationships. And I'm not sure that that it was the right choice, but it was the right choice for her because she wanted right. to hit it out of the park. And so the thing getting done was more important than the constellation of people. And I find that a right. really kind of curious choice that I think is going to have some reverberations for her, but it was a choice. Right. And <clears throat> so, it, you, you know, it was being unapologetic about how she approached the work so that she could create a change and change is difficult for people. So, no, I hear that, you know, I think, I think she will probably learn in retrospect that she could have done both at the same time. She could have held people better 
and while also driving forward the change. And that, you know, right. so, but she is not, I keep saying, you know, you don't need to apologize um, for who you are, for the nature of your being, for the way that you, you, you know, for who you are. You can always. Right. But sometimes you do need to apologize for the way you've made others feel, right? And well, de- or, yes, yes. <laughs> or for having, so think, not, yeah. having for having not set expectations up front about how fast or furious this change is going to be, and right. and maybe no, telling people this is who I am. This is, and I want you to call me out whenever necessary. But this is how I drive things. Right. Um, so it sounds like then we're saying, you know, I'd like to think that being unapologetic is good, but we also have to look at how that affects others and be prepared, right? Set the expectations so others know how to receive you and also be prepared for how others might receive you. <laughs> it might not be yeah, in, a, in, a, in a good way. Yeah, it's... It, it, you know, again, we like, like this unapologetic theme is about not shape-shifting to conform. So, but that doesn't mean that we don't have learning edges. And, right, and, it doesn't mean we can't change. Right, right. So I think both things right. are true. I think we're saying both things are true, aren't we? Yeah, well, this is going to so, be... Well, I think, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. I think it's going to be exciting to explore this topic through the season. It's just a really powerful theme. Yeah, it's going to be really good. We've got some awesome uh, themes coming up and uh, some some interesting topics that I am excited to talk to you all about. So, um, but meanwhile, Lisa and I are here sharing our learning and experiences with you. And we hope that if you like today's discussion, that you'll like us, share us and listen in next time. You have been listening to Inclusionomics with Lisa Gates and Stacey Gordon. Visit inclusionomics.net to subscribe and download.